0: I've got my oldest grandson here with us tonight, and gals, he is single, so. <laughs> Couldn't have that up. I've got one chorus I'd like you to sing with me. It goes something like this. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Dawn, who just left out. Happy birthday to you. I called the other day to the office and I said, hey, I hear you got a birthday coming up. She said, we don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> I said, you're kind of like my sister I was talking to you lately. And uh, I said, "We I, something about age. And I said, well, you know, I'm pushing 80. She said, no, I won't accept that, Frank. And I said, well, why not? She said, well, if you're pushing 80, I'm pushing 84. And I definitely will not accept that. So, uh, <laughs> But it's good to be here. As I said once before, at my age, it's good to be anywhere. So we thank the Lord. I went into the gas station about 4 o'clock this afternoon here in town and got talking with the uh, fellow there. And I asked him, I said, uh, you guys about out of gas? Because I'd seen some of the other gas stations closed already, and I'd already heard the news that several of them had closed already because they're out of gas, he said, not only are we almost empty, but he said about 80% of the gas stations here in town are empty, the ones in Bend are almost empty, the ones in Redmond are empty, the ones in Prineville are empty, the one in Terrebonne are empty. I said, thank God I got here just in time to get a gas filled up, and I got home, talking to the wife, and she just full of faith, she said, I don't think anybody's gonna be there tonight because nobody's gonna have any gas to get there. So I said, well, well, let's take you and the rest of the family, and we'll just enjoy ourselves together, but I'm glad you're here. and I've got a message that's been burning on my heart uh, for several weeks now, and uh, when the pastor first started the series on uh, the restoration, my spirit just said, absolutely, amen, that's going to happen, and the Lord began to deal with my my own heart about a message uh, entitled The Restoration of the Impossible. The restoration of the, and I'm not saying tonight that the impossible things are going to restore. That's not what I'm saying. I said God is going to take impossible situations and restore miraculously for God's people in this hour in which we live. And I'm looking for that. I'm believing for that. And when Brother Webb was speaking the other night, my heart was thrilled at what he was saying about the restoration of miracle because I had just heard about a couple of uh, impossible situations. Uh, one of them, I'll just share with you very quickly, it happened in a church down in California just recently. The pastor was praying for a man uh, that, am I on? Do I have enough power? I want to make sure that you hear me. And uh, he had an eye missing. He had a glass eye, literally, in one eye, and good sight in the other. It had been an injury, and the pastor was praying for him. And as he began to pray for him, he had his hands out like this, praying for the man. And the glass eye fell out into the pastor's hand and instantaneously an eye began to appear in this other one. And he could see perfectly 20-20 in both eyes. Father, God is still on the throne to do the impossible. And so I want to share with you tonight how the Lord directed me. It's a passage of scripture uh, that we don't normally hear but uh, about restoration uh, necessarily because it's prophetically talking about the restoration of Israel as a nation after 2,500 years of her not being a nation. Overnight, the Bible said that she would become a nation again, and we know that in 1948 that exact same happened, and it was prophesied by Ezekiel in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel hundreds of years before it even began to happen so God is still in the restoration business not only bringing nations back together did you hear what I said yes. but he's also br- doing what we call impossible for the Bible says with man things are what impossible. impossible how many have ever had impossible situations and you looked at them and said there, there just ain't no way there's just, just no way, you know, I don't care how much faith that we have. And as I've been tested in my own own life recently about faith, I suddenly realized that my faith was imperfect. I also found out that my conversation was imperfect. And the Lord began to speak to me about the scripture that says, The man that ordereth his conversation aright. Listen to this carefully. He that ordereth his conversation aright. How many know that our mouth has got to be ordered? to say the wrong thing, because we have a tendency to say wrong thing. Uh, The book that the pastor's wife uh, uh, was telling me about, and I happened to find it in my library, began to read it. Medical doctor, back in 1895, became a a minister of the gospel in the Assemblies of God, began to preach uh, many years with some of the very top uh, people of the faith, men who started out in the healing ministry back in the 1800s on into the early 1900s and she tells a story she was a medical doctor got hooked on on drugs and was actually placed in an asylum she was so bad off they thought she was crazy and so forth god miraculously healed her brought her to life and began to preach the gospel and she tells a story about a woman who had a habit of saying that really burns me up that really burns me up she was saying that four and five ten times a day And the doctors had no clue of what was wrong, why she had this burning fever all the time. They tried everything. They tried everything. One doctor finally, and he was a medical doctor, he was not a preacher. He just said, tell you what, I just want you to go home and for two weeks don't say I'm burned up or that burns me up. The miracle was that the fever went away as soon as she started ordering her conversation aright. You see, power of life and what? Death is in the power of the tongue. And we, you know, I'm sad to say, after 50 some years of ministry, I realized how many times I would say things that were negative without even beginning to realize how I was conditioning not only my own faith or lack thereof, but I had some things to learn about conversation and the word movement. I had some criticism for the word movement for several years, and I well, that's just name it and claim it type of thing. You've heard all of the things about that, or or brap, uh, gl- uh, blab it and grab it. Uh, what is the other one? <laughs> but the fact is, there is a lot of truth to what the word says. He that ordereth his conversation, I started ordering my conversation aright. I began to try to say what the scripture said. The pastor caught me one day. I said, uh, uh, "Well, bless you," and. Uh, have a good day. What was the, the phrase? I, my mind is, is, is going fast tonight. Uh, take care, take care. And uh, you know, the Bible says, be careful for nothing. I didn't mean to be careful and, and run around in scary things. I just said that had become accustomed to say that. But I began to realize that wasn't in line with the word. And so I started to order my conversation to write and I, it was about four or five weeks later I said it, and I, oops, I, I meant to, didn't mean to say that, Pastor, forgive me, and I tried to think of something else to say in place of that. But the fact is that many times we say, oh, that, that scared me to death, or that kills me, or I know I'm going to catch the flu. I always do, every year, and sure enough, you catch the flu. Why? Because you have said with your own mouth, not in agreement with what the Lord says, because he said no no evil or no sickness will come near your dwelling. So who are we going to agree with? The devil? And claim what he claims and get what he gives? Or claim what the Lord gives? And so as I started to do that, the Spirit of the Lord began to quicken my heart about the book of Psalms. And I want you to turn there for a couple of uh, moments. Psalms 118, verses 8 and verse 17. Because most of you know by now that I turned down what the doctor said that I needed to do about the cancer that they said I had. And this was three months ago now. They said, you got uh, three months to live. It was two and a half months ago, actually. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. And I said, Lord, my confidence is going to go in you. I'm not going to go the route that they want to go, massive surgery and radiation and all of those things. Number one, I've got too much to do for you, and I don't want to get uh, so sick that I can't even walk and and do the things that you've called me to do. It's better to trust in the Lord. How many believe that? And to put your confidence in man. If you don't learn it, you're going to learn the hard way that it is better to trust in the Lord to put confidence in man. And the other one is... They're in the same passage, and it, it goes uh, a little even better. Verse 17, and I have claimed this ever since that time when I decided, all right, I'm not going to go man's way. I will not die, but live and... Declare. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Declare, Declare the works of God. Yeah. My heart's desire is that God gets the glory... And I don't see any glory to go to him if I'm all cut up and burned up with the radiation and poisoned with the the thing. I say, God, you're going to heal me, and I'm going to trust in this word. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Uh, Several months ago now, two or three months before, um, I had the diagnosis from the doctors and had to go uh, to OSHU and all of that stuff. But... uh, uh, if you remember, Mary and I were going through a whole bunch of things. Uh, pastor never told you what it was. I haven't because I don't want to give the devil the glory for what he was trying to do to us. But he was trying to take us out, just pure and simple. And uh, came, we came up for prayer. You people prayed for me and wife. And uh pastor suddenly turned and handed the, the microphone to Rod. And uh, he said, Rod, do you have a word from the Lord? And he said, you will live and not die. Now, this is long before I was diagnosed that I had three months to live, okay? So when this, what happened is I I began to one night to read the scriptures, got up about three o'clock, because the the pastor had been preaching about that, preached me under conviction, and uh, we got, uh, decided, well, okay, we better do that too, and uh, I think he got into my alarm clock. It wasn't going off, but every morning, three o'clock, two minutes, and 59 seconds, uh, 3.01, 3.02, about a week straight, I wake up 3 o'clock, okay, Lord, I get the message, it's time for me to get up and begin to go into the Word. And so we did, and we read entirely through the book of Psalms in three days. And I thought, wow, hey, <laughs> I've never read that much at one time, and we just enjoyed it, and that's when we got this Word from the Lord. So, again, I want to thank you. Uh, you don't know what it did for this old preacher to have so many people come and say, we're praying for you, we love you, and we just, I tell you, it just, you know, first Sunday back of the hospital, I, I wept all the way through the service. I'd just never been, you know, I had always been on the giving end. I'd never been on the receiving end. <laughs> and to have that many people say they love you and to mean it and to pray for you, the people I hadn't even met yet came up. It, it, it did something for our heart. And uh, it's been a hard thing not to, to weep uh, about it ever since then. Uh, all right, that's, that's all I wanted to say about that <laughs> so I can <laughs> preach the word tonight <laughs> and not weep. Father, send your anointing. Yes. Send the double portion of your Holy Spirit tonight that your people will walk out of here tonight realizing that even in impossible situation that you're still the same God that healed the sick and cause the lame to walk, the blind to see, and the dead to be raised up, and devils cast out. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to preach your word. Help us to be your servant tonight and be a blessing to your people that they will rejoice knowing that God is still on the throne tonight. Father, increase our faith. Help us to order our conversation aright. And to see the miracle-working power of God at work again in our churches across America and around this world. Use us, we pray, and we'll give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. David, there's only one more thing. I'm going to need some Kleenex or a napkin or something here tonight. Ezekiel chapter 37 tells about the miraculous restoration of the house of Israel. All of God's people know that this is talking about Israel. If you've known, read anything about the prophet Ezekiel, you know that he was set at a time when Ezekiel was in a lot of trouble, but God wanted to do a miraculous work in their life. And if you know history, back on May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation once again. But the Lord woke me up during this time of meeting with him at 3 o'clock in the morning and gave me this passage of Scripture in a new light on miraculous restoration. And I'm not talking about just as a nation. He showed me things, and I want to share them with you tonight, about what can happen in your life and in my life as God begins to move. He starts off in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit. Everybody say, in the Spirit, with me. Of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. This is what we call being led by the Spirit. And the Bible says, those that are the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. How many desire to be led by the Spirit of God? That's been my heart and desire. Fifty-three years that I've been in the ministry is to be led of the Spirit, to only do what God leads me to do and be like Jesus who said, the words that I speak are not mine, but they're those that He has revealed to me to do the things that He revealed. When you are led by the Spirit, you will come out victorious every time. But let me tell you this. If you haven't learned already, you may not always like where the Lord leads you. What are you going to say, Pastor? Psalms 23, though he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, it's nice to be in the in the places where he restores our soul. Thank God for that. Thank God for the, 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 the still water. Thank God for the times of refreshing. But you see, this was taken from the heart of David, who was a shepherd by trade. Before he became the king, he was a shepherd. He knew that to get the sheep, to the high mountain passes where he could cause them to lay down beside the still waters and lay down in the green pastures where he restores our mind, our soul, and our spirit. To get to those places, he had to go through these valleys. And in those valleys, the wolves and the mountain lions would be sitting up there, and their shadow would cast down where the sheep were. Now, that could be unnerving to any sheep. But the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, for he leads me beside the still water. He leads me even through the valley of the shadow of death. And I want you to see the word through the valley. You see, sometimes we say, well, I'm in the valley. No, he says we're going to go through the valley. When the disciples, I told you this once before, but when the disciples got in the, other, in the ship and they were going to the other side and the storm came up, which quite often it does, They began to fear and say, Lord, don't you care for us? They forgot that he said, we're going on the other side. And we sometimes forget that he said, we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. I will not die but live and proclaim the works of God. We're not going to stay down in the valley anymore. And I encourage you tonight to get up and to hear what the word of the Lord says because he will lead you through these places. And the spirit of the Lord was upon Ezekiel. And he took him to this place and it was full of dry bones. Now I used to, and I think you remember this, I used to work out in Death Valley for about three years running jackhammer in about 130 degree temperature. And on the way out there, I had to go drive 90 miles every day, round trip, out in the desert. And if you know anything about Death Valley, it is (laughs) well-named. There are dry bones everywhere. Even the coyotes have a hard time living out there. I was watching a documentary on, on one of the channels the other night. And it reminded me of that. And he said uh, they have kind of adapted and, and they can get juice out of a couple of flowers that are out there and juice from the beetles that are on the, on the things and so forth. And they can live. But I'll tell you, when it gets up to 140, you really don't even want to live anymore out there, especially if you're running a jackhammer 12, 16 hours a day. But the fact is, it was a valley full of dry bones. And if you've ever seen a pile of dead, dry, sun-bleached, baked bones, and somebody comes up and asks you, do you think these things can live again? I would respond, are you kidding? Unless you're a real person of faith. And you would say like he did, Lord, you know. You see, there are some things that only God knows. And we can play the faith game. We can play all of the the right confessions and so forth. But when the rubber meets the road, God knows our heart. And he will try us and he'll ask us some things where the Lord leads us. Do you really want to be here? Do you really see this as it is? Or can you see it like I see it? And that's what happened to Ezekiel. Because let's look at it again. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. How many know God was leading and he set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them, verse 2, round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were what? Very dry. Not only were they dead a long time before, but they had been there for a long time, and they were. Very dry. Say, very dry. dry. I found this. If you want a good fire, get dry wood. And I've had people in the congregation down through the years, oh man, I'm dry. And they would be so discouraged. And I'd say, oh, praise God. What do you mean, Pastor? Praise God. Well, the drier you are, the more kindling I can put on you and cause the fire to burn again. You see, so if you're going through a dry period, don't worry about it too much. Because God has a way of kindling a fire in your spirit and in your soul. And you'll hear sermons that will just just get you to the place that you want to be wet again. Can you say amen? For out of your innermost being shall flow what? Rivers of living water. That takes care of dryness. Real quick like. And so as he looked at these things, he caused me. Say he caused me to pass by them roundabout. You see, he was looking in the natural. And what he saw in the natural was affecting him. And God knows that we only have in the natural, natural eyesight. So when we see things as they really are now, our problem is we think they're going to remain that way. Instead of looking at it in the eye of faith, I think the last time I preached here I was talking about the the natural eye and the natural ear. We only hear the natural things. We only see the natural thing. But God says, I want you to take a real good look at this. Well, they're dry bones, Lord. What do you want to see me? What do we find different? There are many. And they were very dry. You see, it doesn't take a casual look in anything where God leads us. You've got to look at a whole lot of things that are not seen with the natural eye. You've got to hear a lot of things that are not by the natural hearing. The doctor can tell you one thing, but you've got to hear what the Lord says. And folks, I'll I'll just be honest with you, that's been a struggle. That's been a struggle. When the doctor out of the clear blue sky tells you you've got three to six months to live, that's like a sledgehammer that hits you. And you've got to reevaluate everything you believe, everything you've ever preached, and everything you've ever read. And then you've got to get right down where the rubber meets the road and say, Lord, help my lack of faith. Lord, I believe, but help my what? Unbelief. unbelief. And I'll guarantee you, you'll have some unbelief in those times. The devil will make sure of that. pastor knows some of the things that we've shared with him that we've gone through during this time. But I had to make the decision, Lord, I'm going to either trust man or I'm going to trust you. And if I'm going to trust you, I'm going to believe what you said. And I can't go by what I see or what I hear. I can't go by what the doctor, the one doctor got mad because I wanted to go through the radiation and everything, and he cut it down from six months down to three months. <laughs> and I said, okay, thanks a lot. Anything else? Any other choices out there? But the fact is that God wants us to look not only at the natural. But he wants us to see it clearly and make a definite decision of what it's going to be. Is it going to be spiritual or is it going to be the natural? Are you going to go by what the doctor says or are you going to go by what the Word of God says? And this is where a lot of people have a problem. Well, that happened back then or that happened and I haven't seen it. It doesn't matter what you have seen. I've been privileged to see a lot of things a lot of people can't believe. But the fact is that God has seen it all and he knows what's going on. Turn to your neighbor and say, God knows what's going on. He knows better than what you and I do. He knows better than what the doctor does. He knows better than what anybody can say or do to you because he's on high and he knows the end, hello, from the beginning. And the Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die and after death the judgment. That is God's decision. You can shortcut it if you want if you don't believe what God said. And too many people die prematurely because they refuse to understand this principle that God knows it all and believe what he says in his word. When I saw Psalms there and he said, you will not die, but you will live and declare the works of God. That's the word that a preacher needs to say, sick them. hallelujah. Other people that may not affect but I have been proclaiming the word of God for 53 years, and I don't intend to stop now. I want just more testimony of what God has done in my life so I can share it with the people so they can say, if they can do it for that old man, he can do it for me, and I'm going to declare the works of God. Can somebody say amen? Hallelujah. So I looked, and I noticed that they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, Can these bones live? Now don't condemn yourself if you're natural enough to say, are you kidding? God, they've had their life. They've lived. They've died. And what use would it be if you took this pile of bones and make a person out of it again? In this case, he's talking about a nation. You look at a nation that's not been a nation for 2,500 years, and even the United Nations said, why? Because God said it's going to happen, that's why. See, that's all the thing that we need because God said. Right. Can these bones live? Yes. He was honest. He didn't say, Lord, help my faith. He didn't say, well, I read because brother so-and-so said thus and so. He says, Lord, thou knowest. And folks, that's a safe way Of saying we may have a lot of faith, or not a whole lot of faith, but thy will be done. Hallelujah. I read that. Somebody said that one time. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Again he said unto me, verse 4, prophesy upon these bones. Hold your finger there for just a moment. And turn, and I don't think I gave you this one, Mike, I'm sorry. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 for just a moment, verse 3. Something that we have almost forgotten in today's time. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. But he that prophesieth speaks unto men to edification, to exhortation, and comfort. That's the reason for prophecy. Helping God's people to be edified or built up. And as Brother Webb said Sunday, and Pastor said just last week again, edification is a term that's used in the uh, Greek of the New Testament as a builder who's building a house one brick at a time. And he puts one brick and then another brick and then another big brick until it becomes a home. Edification is God's people being built up one stone at a time. The Bible says here little there little word upon word, line upon line, precept upon precept. Thank God we don't get everything at one time. Probably make most of us too proud to be God used of God anyway. But he that prophesies speak unto men to edification, to exhortation, and comfort. I, I left that with you because here he's saying to the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these bones. When the Lord gave me this message, I began to prophesy to my bones. I put my hand where they said the cancer was, and I said, Bones, you're going to reject this cancer. Bones, you're going to line up with the word of God. For he said, I'm going to not die, but live and declare the works of God. He said, I will heal all of your diseases. I will forgive all of your transgressions. He said that I'm going to do great and miracle things that you know not of. He said that he is able to do all things. With man things are impossible, but with what? God, all things are possible to him that believeth. And all we got to do is believe, and he'll do the rest. I said, all we got to do is believe, and he will do the rest. I said, he will do the rest. Can you say amen? Amen. Prophesy to these bones, and say unto them, O dry bones, hear the word of the preacher. Hear the words of Pastor Frege. Hear the words of Pastor Jerry. No, you see, unless we quote God's word, it's not going to do anything. The devil's really not afraid of your word unless it's the word of God, and my Bible tells me that he's going to run away and flee when he starts hearing the word of God. Yeah. Jesus said when he was tempted, Satan, it's written, <laughs> and folks, that's final. Satan, it's written. <laughs> Satan, it's written. Bones hear the word of the Lord. I could just see one of the bones popping up and you get your own picture here, as Pastor says. I could just see one of them jumping up and say, "Are you kidding?" I hear your voice, but I don't hear the voice of God. How do I know what you're saying is true? Because it's going to be the word of God. And God help us if we say anything besides the word of God. Because it's the word of God that's quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword. That's going to do the work in this hour in which we live. People need to hear what God says. They're not really interested in what I say. They're not really interested in what other people say. Well, when the word of God comes in, it has a way by the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit to get down between the joints and the marrows of the bones and divide you between your soul and your spirit and get down to the very nitty-gritty of your life because he knows things about you that nobody else. Turn to your neighbor and say, God knows. God knows. Now watch him turn red and wonder what, what are you talking about? <laughs> O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones. He's very specific who he's speaking to. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. He's not talking to the lungs, folks. He's talking to the the bones. He's talking to the very stature of mankind. This is where that old... Negro spiritual comes in. Oh, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Oh, hear the word of the Lord. Bone's connected to your thigh bone. You know the story. But word of God comes into the bones, and what does God says? It shall enter into you, and you shall live. Look at verse 6 for a moment. He says, I'm going to do these other things, but he also says in there, I'm going to be putting breath in you, And you shall live. Verse 8 says, but there was no breath in them. God is saying to the church, if you please, and to you and me. As Jesus breathed on the disciples, what did he say? Receive the Holy Ghost. What happened? Nothing. A few days later, they were in the upper room, and what? Suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and they were all filled with the breath of God. (laughs) Hallelujah. I shall breathe into the church, and you're going to raise up, and you're going to receive power. Go and tarry into the city of Jerusalem until that time when the breath comes upon you. He spoke to a dry and dead church. At that hour, he was talking to the church that was just being established but had not been really established the first church had become backslidden if you please walked away from god making their own laws legalistic and all of these other things and i've seen that happen so many times not only in america but in russia where we spent a year I saw the legalism where it was do this and do that, and if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. If you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. If you do this, you're going to go to hell. They had more reasons to go to hell than they did to heaven. 164 things. If you did anything, you could be excommunicated. And that means you could not walk back into the church until you repented, crawled on your knees from the full thing and came before the whole church and, did, and said, I did number 132 or 141 or so forth. And everybody they had the list. You'd, oh, not that. <laughs> and the breath. You know what some of those things were? Men couldn't wear a tie. They couldn't iron their shirts, because if they ironed their shirts, that would draw attention to themselves, and that would be pride, and so they couldn't do that. And then they went back and forth on the beards. One year they, they wanted the beards, the next year they didn't, and they went back, and they, they were on the third trip on that thing when we got there in 1993, but the fact is, legalism. And that's what happened to the church. But God says, I'm going to breathe my breath of life into the church. And you're going to stand up as a mighty army, and you're going to do things that you don't even know is possible. When my breath comes upon you, and I've already prophesied, and he did to the disciples, breathed on them and said, "Receive the Holy Ghost, and then they had to go wait 11 years. Now, if you really think that you've got to wait to get it, uh, let me just tell you, you probably also think you've got to go to Jerusalem. Yeah, Come on. <laughs> come on, brother. I say, well, I'm waiting for that day. Well, it, it's come, folks it's come. And he breathed on the church and suddenly there was the sound of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house and they all began to speak another tongue as the Spirit gave them utterance. Why? Because the church was coming alive. The bones were coming together and the sinews and things the, the structure of the church was being put together but they needed the breath and folks if they needed it then how much more do we need the breath of God today? We need a new infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need the wind to blow again upon the church and let them move in the anointing of the Spirit of God. Hear the word of the Lord. And God said unto the bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. Say, You shall live. live. Verse 6 And I will lay sinews upon you, and bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know what? That I am the Lord. You see the difference between regular religion, if you please, and spirit-filled life, is it causes us to know that he's the Lord. He'll put you down to the places where you just say, Lord, I need you to lift me up. Folks, when we think we can do it all, I got news for you. He's got some trials that you will not understand until you go through them. Why? Because he loves us. He chastens whom what? he loves now no person when they're chasing thinks it's great how many ever had your dad say I know this is going to hurt me more than you I heard one guy pop up and he well dad let me spank you then <laughs> <laughs> but you see when the Lord spank, spanks us it's not because he's mad at us or has something against us or necessarily that we've done something wrong but he just wants to teach us something to bring us to a higher level how many have ever been spanked by the Lord and you know it was the Lord when it happened? Because why? Because he does it in love. He doesn't get out of sick and beat you to death and say, if you do that again, I'm going to do it twice as hard the next time. He leads us beside the still waters. Through this whole process, I've been re-spanked a few times by the Lord and I suddenly realized I didn't know what I thought I knew. 53 years of passion, you get to the point where you think, well, you've learned a few things. But I found out that my conversation wasn't right. I found that my faith wasn't as big as I thought it was. You see, I've always been able to believe for other people. But when you've got to believe for yourself, it's a whole different ballgame, folks. And when the doctors say certain things, you don't even begin to realize that that could bring fear upon your heart. And so you stand naked before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your covering. I need your wisdom. I need your understanding. And he gives it, hallelujah. He gives it and he doesn't chasten us because we've been dumb and ignorant. <laughs> I admitted a long time ago, in fact, I just got into the ministry. I said, Lord, if it's going to be done, you're going to have to do it because I sure don't know how to do it. I don't have any Bible school. I don't have any training. At that time, I, I hardly even knew Matthew from Revelation. And suddenly I'm pastoring a church. And it's out in the back side of the desert. I'll tell you, you learn things out in the back side of the desert and you learn them good and you learn them but after a while if you don't be, be careful you think that you've you've learned and you don't have to have other things to teach you I, I guarantee you folks we are in a constant learning process so don't sit down and think you know everything because the lord has ways of telling you that there is more to learn in this process 80 years of age almost and i guarantee you, i got a whole more bunch more to learn I can have the mind of Christ, and that's the beautiful part about it. And he wants to give it to you, and he wants to give it to me. Any man lack wisdom, let him ask you, God, and he gives it liberally. That's good, but he doesn't upbraid us for being stupid either. (laughs) And I need that more than the other sometimes, because I've done some stupid things. And if you don't believe that, you can ask some people that I've pastored down through the years. You shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I underlined that in my Bible, obey God. So I prophesied as I was commanded. That's why I laid my hand on my chest and I said, I prophesy to these bones, reject cancer. That's why I began to realize there were some other things going on in the body that needed to be taken care of. I realized there was a whole chain of things that my Bible says shouldn't be there. And I started naming them one by one. Lord, take care of this. Lord, take care of this. Lord, take care of this. And then I started ordering it even better. I said, Lord, I thank you for taking care of that. I thank you for taking care of that. And I'll tell you, the devil went double time then. He went overtime. He started doing things that, again, I don't want to give him glory. But i guarantee you, I had to hang on to the word. And I had to prophesy against those things, said you're going to live and not die. The cancer's going to die, and the pain's going to be gone, and this is going to be gone, and this is going to be gone, and this is going to be gone. And, be gone. and then all of these other things started happening. I said, "Devil, you're still a liar. And my God is true, and his word is true, so I will command you to go as I was commanded in the word of God, and I shall see you flee. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. Everybody say noise. Noise. How many of you are old enough to remember when Pentecostal people were known for those that you could hear singing for a country mile? Remember that? Let me read something to you for just a moment. And it's found over in the book of Psalms. And I reread this at that time when the Lord was dealing with me. Psalms 150. Praise ye the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Is this the sanctuary of God? Yes. Are we to praise him here? Yes. Then why do we sit sometimes and let everybody else do the singing and all the praise? Let it go right over us instead of saying, God, I'm here for one reason, not to be seen or not to see others, but I'm here to praise you. And I'm here not to criticize the music. I'm not here to criticize the colors. I'm not here to criticize the pastor. I'm not here to criticize my neighbor, but I'm here to praise you. And when I'm in the house of God, I am going to praise the Lord. And if you don't like the noise, then go somewhere else, but I'm going to praise the Lord. He didn't say that you got to do it musically correct. He didn't say that you had to be exactly on tone or anything else. He says, praise ye the Lord, and let all those that have breath, what? Praise ye the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He didn't say you had to be perfect there. He said just make some noise. Let somebody know that you're alive. <laughs> you see, I was raised in the Baptist church. Okay, I was about eight years old, went to the Baptist church until I couldn't stand the deaf, the deafness and the guys coming by and say, shh, if you rattled a piece of paper and so forth. I heard somebody talking about this the other night country western singer and he was uh singing on bill gaither's program and he said i went to this little baptist church and i guarantee you he said there was noise no noise there so he says you people that are here hearing me sing these praises and giving me glory i just want you to know i grew up not receiving any of that because you couldn't make any noise in the little church i was in now i can say that because i was raised that way but then i got filled with the holy ghost I got filled in the Holy Ghost in in a Sunday evening service in the Assembly of God in Pasadena, California. God told me to get up from where I was, about 300 people. That was when everybody went to the evening services because we had life and everything else there. And uh, I was making so much noise down in the basement of the church that the pastor stopped his sermon and he said, it sounds like something's happening down the basement. Maybe we all ought to get down there and see what's happening. I was receiving the Holy Ghost. Somebody opened the door and the light come flooding in, and suddenly I begin to speak in other languages. as the Spirit of God, and I haven't stopped since that time. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was 18, just had gotten married, gone into the service, and was making $92 a month. And from that time, I've always realized that God says, praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty act. Praise Him to according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet, Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Dancing in the house of God? Wow. I didn't think Pentecostal people were supposed to go to a dance. (laughs) I stopped going to dances, but I just changed partners. I started dancing in the Holy Ghost. I, I danced in the prayer room in the spirit more than anybody else i just come out of the Baptist church, and here I was dancing in the spirit. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? You'll see it one day. <laughs> oh, fire him up, Lord. <laughs> Why? Because you're praising the Lord yeah. in the dance. I heard a well-dignified Bible preacher, if I named his name, all of you know who I was talking about. He was the major leader of one of the major l- larger of Pentecostal organizations. And the Lord spoke to him one day in his office and says, I want you to dance before me. Me? But why, Lord? Because I told you to praise me in the dance. But Lord, what would my 4,000-member congregation think? What would the organization think if they heard that I was dancing? He said, I don't care what they think. I'm telling you to dance before me and he said I started out and I felt like a little baby in diapers I started stepping and then I would step back that happened to me one time and during a revival I think I told you this story but I found myself doing the same two steps and I said Lord what is this what is this every service I found myself doing the same two steps I found myself in my prayer time doing the same two steps. One day, a group of the uh, finished people from the Jewish faith that had gotten saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, had a dance team that came through bed. And I talked to them one after the service, and I said, hey, I'm going to ask you a question. God's been having me do this, and she just, her eyes got this big. I said, Brother Frege, that's the basic step of the Jewish dance before the Lord. I thought, hallelujah, I just got a dance teacher. <laughs> what are you saying, Pastor? There's simpli- something about the simplicity of worshiping the Lord in everything you do. Yes. And in the freedom of dancing before the Lord in the spirit is just something that you must try one time. If you in your closet at home, do it. But don't be afraid to do it before the Lord. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him, in verse 5, praise him upon the quiet symbols. Praise him upon the muted symbols. Praise him on the symbols that don't scare people. Praise him, but just be quiet and orderly and decent and in order. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. See, God's not afraid of noise. When he created this world, he said, let there be light, and bang, there was light. He said, let the stars appear, and bang, the stars appeared. You see, God is not afraid of us raising our voices in praise and worship. Praise ye the Lord. And when you play on the instrument, play it loudly. It may bother somebody, but it'll bother the devil more than anybody. You see, the devil wanted all the praise. He was the leader of the worship team in heaven. But he wanted the praise. And when you praise the Lord, it makes him so mad he flees because he can't stand God's people praising him and the Lord. And the louder it gets, the worse he hates it. One day we were known as the people you hear for a country mile. And you go to a lot, I know a lot of Assembly of God churches, and I'll just speak there because I was there 50 years. But uh, you can hear pin drops. I went to the Mormon Tabernacle one time years ago as I was going to general council and I stopped there, and they took us to the tabernacle, and it was built in such a way that it was miraculous, literally, because you could hear a pin drop on the platform clear in the back of the sanctuary that seated several thousand people. But I know this, that you could do, You could hear a pin drop on the platform in the back of a lot of sanctuaries today because everybody's afraid to say something in praise to the Lord. They're afraid that somebody's gonna think that they're out of order. They're gonna think that they're, they're kind of weird or something. And, and the louder you get, sometimes you'll have somebody come down the aisle and say, shh, we don't do that here. I was in a church one time, they did that, and I said, well, you know, that's really a pity. <laughs> you don't know what you're missing. Okay. I, I see that's going over real well tonight. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to shout the praises of God. Shout the praise. praise him upon the high or loud sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath what? Breath. breath. Here we go again. I'm going to breathe upon the church. They're going to become a living army. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. There's so many scriptures dealing with how we are to worship the Lord. And so when he said to these bones, I want you to breathe and I want you to begin to praise the Lord. I want you to begin to cause the world to hear and let the people know that there is a God in heaven that still does great and mighty things. I want you to shout unto the devil, that there is victory in the Lord. Can you say amen? We need to know and understand that God is not getting nervous when we begin to praise him. But the devil gets so nervous sometimes, he just doesn't know what to do, so he just turns around and he runs. There was a sound. There was a noise. But I also want you to know that wasn't everything. Everything. And sometimes we make noise just to be making noise. If our noise is not directed as praise to God, it's worthless. And that comes from a Pentecostal preacher. Hallelujah. Things hadn't happened completely yet, but there was a noise. And there was a shaking. There was a shaking. My Bible tells me in the Old Testament in another place that suddenly there was a shaking and the foundations of the temple began to shake. Why? Because the presence of God was there and there was a shaking. God help us to return to the days when we go into the house of God and the God of presence is so there that you just feel and you can't stand still because of the power and the anointing that begins to cause the physical body to shake under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit until you just got to raise your hand and praise God and know and understand that he's moving amongst his people. Can you say amen? There was a shaking, but it wasn't over yet. There was a noise and there was a shaking and the bones came together. Oh, there's a whole other sermon about that. Blessed is it when God's people come together in the spirit of unity. It's like the anointing that fell upon the prophet's head and ran down his feet and down his robe. Why? Because God wants unity. Turn to your neighbor and say, unity, that means coming together and God's people agreeing together. When we come together, we should come into the house of God with thanksgiving and praise ready for the service, not having to get into the service and into the mood of praising God would expect God when we leave the house and said today is going to be the anointing of God and God is going to anoint our pastor in such a way that miracles are going to happen because we are in the unity of coming together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There was a shaking and the bones came together. Dry bones. Dead bones. Very dry bones. Very many. Bone to his bone. And when I beheld, verse 8, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. No breath, no life. They were dry. And the Bible said in the last day there's going to be a form of godliness, but they're going to deny the power thereof. We can have all the trappings of a church. We can fill the pews. But it can be so dry that there's no life there. When my wife and I were in Europe years ago, traveling down to Greece to preach the word, we passed sanctuaries that would have seated 5,000 people. There would be five or six people going into them. If you go into them, it'd be dry. There is no breath. Form of godliness looks right. We can get dressed up. We can get our biggest family Bible, put it under our arm, go to church, and sing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, and be so far away from Him. Deny the power thereof. Think a moment. Just every church today that's denied the power thereof, once had the power, I'm not talking necessarily about any particular group, but do you remember hearing about the shouting Methodists? You know why they called them shouting Methodists? Because they shouted, glory to God! I can remember when the Baptists made noise. I was about nine years' age at the time. Then I saw death creep in. I saw worldliness creep in. And I've seen the same thing happen in many of our Pentecostal churches. I've seen some of the greatest evangelists fall beside the wayside. My heart's been broken. And I said one time, Lord, if, there's, if they can't do it, how in the world is there any hope for me? And he says, just keep your eyes on me, son. Amen. Keep your eyes on me. They got their eyes on man. They got their eyes on money. They got their eyes on women. They got their eyes on money. Follow me. And I found that to be helpful. And no matter where I end up, whenever I end up, I want to go out shouting, glory to God. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still does might and miracle. He still heals the sick. He still raises the dead. He still casts out devils. He still wants the world to know that he's alive. There's no life in them. So he said unto me, here you go, Ezekiel, prophesy unto the wind, north, south, east, and the west. I remember a few years ago, it became very customary to open our services. We'd look towards the north, say, Lord, bring them in. We'd turn to the south as a whole congregation, Lord, send them in. We'd look to the east and we'd look to the west and say, Lord, blow a in if necessary. (laughs) But we've got to look around us and begin to proclaim to this world, blow. Blow, wind. Blow. There's no life in the church. Blow. No life in me. Blow. No power and anointing in our Sunday school class. Blow. I taught junior high boys when I first got into ministry. I'd just gotten saved. They gave me junior high boys. Almost wiped me out right there. (laughs) (laughs) But every Saturday I'd call the boys. I had 13 in my class at that time. All they could trust me with. (laughs) You going to be there tomorrow? No, I'm going to the beach, Frank. I said, no, you're not. You're going to be in church. You're going to be in my class. You know what? All 13 of them would show up. Pretty soon next week we had 15. They said, you got to hear this guy. He's crazy, but we want to hear him. <laughs> Why? Because the wind was blowing. I'd just been saved, just been filled with the Holy Spirit, didn't know anything, but I knew God. And I knew God wanted to do a work in those young boys' lives, and he did. I got my first church, same thing. God began to call people into the ministry. Second church, same thing, and I've seen that happen. Last count, 30-some into the ministry. I got a call the other day. My son actually got the call. It was from the chaplain at one of the hospitals in Sacramento. Somebody I hadn't heard from for 40-some years. One of those that was up and down, up and down, up and down. I never knew where she stood any Sunday she came. And she called my son, or talked to the chaplain and said, would you please call Pastor Frega took over the church that I was pastored for 18 years and tell him what an impact that he had on my life and what an impact his dad had on my life. I said, Lord, I needed that right about now. Forty years. Didn't know whatever happened to her. Didn't know how she came out. But she said, just tell him I'm serving God because of what they told us. You see, never give up because the wind can blow. That's the point I'm trying to make. Nothing that we did. It's, Lord, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. I don't know how to do it. So I let the wind blow from the north, south, east, and the west. Lord, blow. Blow upon the churches that I've pastored. Blow upon the classes that I've taught. Blow upon the seminars that I've been able to teach, the book that I sent out. Lord, I want you to blow upon your people. When I prayed last night, I said, Lord, blow upon the people in Redmond. Lord, blow upon them. Let the words that I speak encourage them to let them know that God can heal cancer as easy as He can take a headache away from you. Impossible? Doctors would tell me that. Well, if you don't do thus, thus, and so, there's just no hope for you. I said, That's not what my Bible says. Hallelujah. People have looked at me and said, You're crazy. You just cut your life short. You've given up. I said, no, I've just given in. I begin to believe what God said. And I'm trying to order my conversation right. He said, I'm going to live and declare the words of God. And I said, God, do it in such a miraculous way that you get all the glory and all the praise and no doctors can get any credit for it. I can't get any credit. I don't want to say that I had faith to get it because I know that my faith is not perfect and I'm still learning this whole thing, but God is still the same. I want you to receive the glory, Lord. I want people to stand up and say, man, if he can do it for that preacher, he can do it for me. There's a lot of scriptures, and if you know enough scriptures, you can get in trouble. Because you can look and say, well, the years of man shall be 70 at most, at 80, by strength. And I said, that's another five months, Lord. <laughs> so fear can try to come at you. And I'm not quite sure if I want to live to be 120 like the Old Testament gives. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God. God. You're God. You make the appointments. Not Dr. So-and-so and and not Pastor So-and-so. God, let the wind blow. The faith will go around a congregation if they're facing something impossible, and that might be you tonight. The doctors may have told you there's something that they can't do. They may have told you that you've only got a few months to live or this will never happen, or the, the lawyer may have said, there's just no way, there's no chance. Your neighbor might have said, like I've heard other people say that are in the church sometimes, well, you know, my sister died of that. Those are real faith-building words, aren't they? And I guarantee you the devil will try things like that when you're at your lowest. And that's when you've got to hang on to the Almighty God and say, but my God said... I shall live and proclaim the word of God. Seven or eight years ago, no, it's longer than that now. I had somebody look at me, I may have told you this story. She looked straight at me, stopped her preaching in my church. This gal was the main prayer intercessor for Billy Graham, black woman back east. She came to my church, stopped in the middle of the service, said, your greatest days are ahead. Thank you. Five minutes later, she stopped again. Your best days are yet ahead. Third time, a few minutes later, your best days are. Yet ahead. I heard you. <laughs> Got out in the lobby after the service. She looked across the side, uh, across the lobby and said, Brother Frege, your best days are yet ahead. Five minutes later, she stopped talking to somebody else. Said, Brother Frege, I, I said, Your best days are yet five times in the same day. I said, I get the message. A month later, I had a guest speaker come to the church, stopped the message, looked straight at me, and says, your best days are staying ahead. I'm still waiting for that time, folks. Amen. Because from that day, things started to go downhill in the natural. It got to the impossible stages. And that's why I'm preaching this message tonight. The resurrection or the restoration of the impossible. Dry bones, very dry. Very many, the whole valley was full, the picture was gloom, the, 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 the picture was horrible. I've seen those piles of bones. But my God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or even think according to the power that works within you. Bow your heads. You say, Brother Frank... I'm facing some impossible situations. I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't either. If I had all the answers, I'd be a multimillionaire. I don't have half the answers, but I, I know a book that does. And they said, these bones shall live again. God, is there something that you can do with this impossible pile of bones? If you are, Lord, I'm a candidate for you to do the impossible in my life. You see that situation I'm facing... I need a job, or I need this, or I need that, or I need healing. I could spend all night telling you things, if I had my book of blessings here, that my wife keeps, things that God has done in our life over the 60 years that we've been married. But I'm giving you the word of God, and I want you to believe God, and I'll believe with you. And the Bible says, if two will agree, touching anything, I said Lord I believe this is the better days that those prophets of God were speaking to me about and I want you to raise me up so I can proclaim your word wherever I go or whoever I talk to I want to share with them what you're going to do I talked to my oncologist the other day she was well she wasn't my oncologist she was the one that does the blood thinning thing, the IR, right. I said, you know, Frank, you got to contact this one, you got to contact this one, this is critical and so forth. And I looked at her and I said, you know and I know that there's a God in heaven that does miracles. I said, he's the one I'm holding on to. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, God can do miracles through the doctors too. I said, I know that. But I said, in this case, the cure was worse than the cancer. <laughs> and I choose the way God does it. Call me stupid if you want, but I'm going to go God's way. Father, in the name of Jesus, that one that's facing that impossible situation, the one the doctor said there's no hope, the one the banker said there's no way, the one the lawyer told him, forget it. It can't happen. The one that looks in their natural life and looks at things in the natural way I'm asking you to open up their eyes of the Spirit tonight. And I want you to cause them to see the bones begin to come together and the sinews and the flesh to come upon it and hear the shaking and the noise and see the miracle begin to transpire right before their very eyes. And they're going to be able to proclaim what God has done. And they're going to come to a service on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night And the pastor's going to say, I want those with a testimony of what Jesus has done for them this week to come forward and proclaim to the congregation. And they're going to come so fast, and there's going to be so many of them, that God, there's going to be an eruption of praise that takes place in the sanctuary, as people know and understand that God does the impossible today. And he does that which men have said there's just absolutely no way will happen And they're going to see it with their very eyes, hear it with their very ear, and see God do miraculous things through them as well. Father, that one who's wept during the night because of the impossibility of the situation, that one that you've woken up time and again, and they've sat there and wept on their pillows, thinking there's just no way for me. There's no way out of this situation. There's no way out of this thing that I'm going through right now. And God, you're going to just sweep over them. And the peace of God is going to sweep over them even as we pray tonight. And they're going to sense your presence and they're going to leave this place tonight saying, God can do it. I don't know how, but he's going to do it for me because I'm a child of the King. And he is the one that's going to do the great and mighty things because I'm his child and he loves me with all of his love. Raise your hands now and begin to thank God begin to raise the noise in this place. Lord, I accept it right now. Lord I receive it right now I don't care what the devil has lied to me about I'm not going to believe his word I'm going to see this church built I'm going to see my Sunday school class grow I'm going to see that husband come back uh, falling on his knees and say I'm sorry I want to be reunited with you will you forgive me for what you've done you're going to hear the boss says you know you deserve a raise and I'm going to give you that raise you're going to hear the banker say, I don't know where this came from, but there's another $5,000 in your account. You're going to hear the Spirit of God say to you, these are just but a few of the things that I want to do for you in these last days and in this last hour. Folks, we're going to see blinded eyes open. We're going to see ears unstopped. We're going to see the lame walk in our services. I told you about that glass eye falling out in the pastor's hand. That just happened in California. And if it can happen in California, I guarantee it can happen in Oregon. Hallelujah. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Then he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Look at verse 11 for just a moment. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, listen to this carefully. The whole house of Israel, but say they, the ones that were dry bones. Our bones are dried. Our hope is lost. We are cut off. Of our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you. And you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. You see, our conversation needs to be ordered. They're saying the wrong thing. They're saying there's no hope. I can't rise up. I'm dead. I'm dry. I'm, I'm gone. The sun's been beating too hot. I've gone through too much heat and oppression. There's just no hope. Those that hope in the Lord. Hallelujah. Those that order their conversation again, this is how the Lord spoke it to me, shall see the salvation of the Lord. That's just talking about being saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's being delivered. Those that order their conversation right shall be delivered. Things will change if we order our conversation. But they say this. But he says, prophesy unto them. Prophesy unto them. Thus saith the Lord. I'm saying to you, you are not cut off. I'm saying to you, there is hope in Jesus. I'm saying to you, the Holy Ghost can still move in the situation and circumstances that you know not way, how he's going to do it. I could again tell you story after story, but I hope you got the word. Did you get something Amen. from what God says? I give him the glory. Give him the praise. But you know the way I know that? Is if you pursue claim it in your life and I see it happen and then you come and say pastor this is what God did for me this is what the Lord did for me and give me the testimony give the pastor the testimony of what God has done in your life when I first came into Pentecost in 1955 we used to have testimony service every service And one dear saint of God, she was a preacher, had started the church. The devil's been after me all week, bless his holy name. I didn't have any more testimony services for a long time. (laughs) You see, we give the devil more credit than God. Turn to your neighbor and say, the devil's a liar. liar. I'm going to stop believing what he tells me. Pastor. Hey, praise the Lord. Come on, give God praise